Want me to mail it? No. Uh, we don't want to record anything. Right here. <coughs> you put in the meeting number first and then the password. That's what I did. Very plain and simple. Okay, that's all I need.
Thank <laughs> you. 
I don't know, not really. Why you got your phone there? You don't need it on two two apparatuses here. Oh, can you hear something? Yeah, and even if they go, because we would have sent them back in Actually, we started school this week, and so far it's going okay. Because I 
Um, start working next week. Oh, do you? Yeah. Um, in the day? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. You know, one of the things that we were like, at least the homeschool is going to be flexible. <laughs> but um, yeah, I actually got one of our dead teachers on the team that I used to work for in Nebraska just moved to Austin. Um, our boss hates Texas now. I bet. I bet. I know. But they weren't getting any applicants for her position. Right. And so in May, my boss texts me and she goes, So I was thinking, we're doing all of our services online right now. Are you? And she goes, It's going fairly well. Are you interested in a part time job next year? Like, yeah, you know, working from home three days a week, like, I can, I can do that. Oh, yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, it's perfect. And it's, you know, with a team that I already know and love, and they know me, and, you know, and a lot of my kids that I'll have on my caseload are kids that I've served in the past. Have you really? Because mm -hmm. for deaf education, we can have a kid from K-12 the whole way through. Um, yeah. So it doesn't always work like that. It kind of depends on districts and things like that. But so yeah, it'll be fun to get on. It sounds like it was made for you. I you know I think it'll be a really good deal. <laughs> and even my boss, I saw that we started school. I think it's working. And I was a little nervous, kind of how she would react, just with like knowing the load of that, you know. We have one, two, three, four, five, seven. Seven with us online. Can you all hear us? Super. We're trying something a little bit new. Um, we are in the parish hall and we built a Zoom room so we can see you and you can see us and probably hear us talk in the background. You can see our text. We're going we're gonna to do something. Uh, Something exciting. I hope. And we'll do this so we can see a little better. Look at that. Now Calvary is looking vaguely professional tonight. <laughs> We're at about time. So um, do you guys have any questions or anything you would kind of like to talk about uh, before we get started? All right, remember if you're on Zoom, you have to unmute yourself, but feel free to interrupt me anytime uh, because otherwise I will ramble. Uh, we are in Luther's large catechism. Remember, this is, uh, this is the, the, well, the larger version of the catechism. This is where we start to go into depth on uh, the topics that are addressed in the small catechism. This was uh, given uh, not only to, to pastors and churches, but to, to the heads of households so that um, as we, uh, we, we dive into to the core of our faith, uh, we can carry this forward into not only the rest of the scriptures so that uh, as we read the Bible, we would be able to, to uh, interpret it in light of how God would reveal himself and his truth through the gospel, but even um, how we deal with our churches. Um, when Luther wrote the large catechism especially, what he found was that the churches were in utter disarray. Everything was a mess. The pastors, by and large, came out of Roman Catholicism, but were never actually trained, and so they had no idea what they were doing. Uh, some of them were actually illiterate at the time. They couldn't even read. And so they were just sort of making things up as they went along. Um, at best, some of them sort of had the words to the mass memorized, um, and, and they would just sort of mutter it. But this was also given to um, 
to sort of help shape churches into what ought to be taught. So when we give the large catechism, especially to, to, to you guys, the laity, um, this, is, this is to check us so that when we start preaching and teaching, if it's out of line with these catechisms, you can say, now, hang on, I want to talk. And so, for example, if I were to come to you um, and, and say, now, uh, communion is just way overblown, you guys. We shouldn't be worrying so much about it because, after all, it's only a symbol. It's not actually Jesus' body and blood. You can all say, now, hang on. My catechism tells me this is his body and blood given and shed for me for the forgiveness of my sins. And we can go into our catechism and start to lay out um, where these things are. Uh, tonight, we are still in the Ten Commandments. We are just starting the Fifth Commandment. Um, and so we're going to just sort of dive right in. You guys ready? All right, the Fifth Commandment, thou shalt not kill. Uh, we now have completed both the spiritual and the temporal government, that is, the divine and the paternal authority and obedience. But here now we go forth from our house among our neighbors to learn how we should live with one another, everyone himself toward his neighbor. Therefore, God and government are not included in this commandment, nor is the power to kill, which they have taken away. Time out. All right. So when we say thou shalt not kill, uh, does this mean ants? <laughs> like, honestly, does this mean like be, be careful where you walk because to step on an ant is, is uh, an atrocious thing in God's sight? We, we could say ants. All right, fine. How about, how about cows? Only for a purpose. I, I would say, yeah, because after, and this is for a purpose. That's a good answer. Because God gave us this creation to serve us. Um, it actually is meant for good. And so um, we had this problem in Nebraska. Um, you don't have a lot of problems in Nebraska because there's only five of us there. But there, there's some problems you have. Every deer season that went around, somebody's cow accidentally got shot because somebody was hunting where they shouldn't have been and uh, weren't paying attention. And then after you shot somebody else's, I don't know, $6,000 animal, um, you either run away or you do the honorable thing and you go and tell them, hey, I shot your $6,000 animal and I'd like to pay for it. So what do you think they did? And then some farmer finds his cow dead in the ditch uh, later on down the road. Um, and uh, so in light of that, um, yeah, cows aren't just for killing for sport. Um, but at the same time, what can we, we know that, that God would have us do from, from cows? It's a simple thing. It's food. It's, it's food. We eat it. Um, this was given with purpose. And, and so we're not talking about animals. But, but even more, uh, as we start to address the, the fifth commandment, um, are we talking about the stuff we talked about in the fourth commandment or no? In other words, are we talking about uh, the authority figures, the government? Is it a sin to be a soldier? No. No. So what we're going to get into this is, is we are not pacifists. You'll find um, occasionally some um, Christian religions that, that are pacifists. They say any taking of life at all is wrong. You'll find some that even go so far as to extend this into God's animal kingdom and say uh, to, to, uh, to really love life is to not eat meat. Um, and um, again, we, we would say no. Um, and I know for a fact it, it, that this, this would be this way, simply in the fact that our Lord commands us to eat and drink his body and blood. Um, but, but here, where we're going to, to stick tonight is um, God and government are not included in this commandment because God has given them this for a purpose. God has not given to the government to remember from the fourth commandment to just kill um, without regard to human life. 
He hasn't sent them into the world to say, you know, um, just sort of take everything from yourself because you have more power than them and, and uh, make sure that you use this, this, um, this gift that you've been given um, in spite of your neighbor and at the expense of your neighbor, not for them. He doesn't say that. Well, why um, in the fourth commandment did God expressly give the government the right to kill? Y'all can pipe in online too, just unmute yourself. David and Goliath, that's that's interesting. Well, well, let me come back around to David and Goliath because I want to go into that in a little bit. But but how about this? Um, just even in the fourth commandment, when God sort of laid out the, the sins of um uh, of the world, the sin breaks. Yeah, that, that's why God says don't do it. Um, if, if sin is left to go unchecked, will it cause more harm or less harm? And so in the fourth commandment, if you remember back, it's honor your father and mother. And God established first and foremost the family. And from this, all other authority stems. And so from mom and dad comes all authority. Um, we recognize that we live in a complex world where it's bigger than me. And so uh, because I can't necessarily keep my, my family safe from um, hypothetically, I don't know, North Korea, um, God has given us government to keep us safe from larger entities. And so that is an authority that stems from it. Um, when I raise up my kids, ultimately, um, when they're bad in Walmart, can you yell at them? You can't yell at my kids in Walmart. Will I yell at my kids in Walmart? Yeah, if I need to. Um, but the thing is, when, when we talk about raising our families, um, it's not simply to be cruel to children. It's that we want to catch them in these things that would help them be less narcissistic before they go out into the world at wide and commit vast atrocities. Um, and, and so we see that, you know, um, kids who are not sort of raised with, with a, an understanding of right and wrong go out to commit bigger problems. And I know this because I, I, I did dumb stuff and my parents thankfully whooped me some um, because the things that I did that got me in a lot of trouble with them would land me in jail as a grown up. I mean, honestly, you watch two two-year-olds fight over a toy. Okay. If two adults behave that way in the grocery store over some toilet paper, would the cops come? They have. I, I, it's called, yeah, the, the coronavirus was wild, guys. Um, when, when we deal um, with, with a government then that comes in, it's to keep people safe. And sometimes, you know what? It's, it's sad. It's awful. But the only way that we have to keep people safe is ultimately to stop the bad people from hurting the people. And that means sometimes, yes, we have a, a civil government that exercises discipline, sometimes jail, sometimes more. That means that we have soldiers, which is a, and, and, and we're gonna talk about this um, in the fifth commandment, but soldiers are not profiteering. Soldiers are not out for themselves. They're not mercenaries. They're agents of their government sent to defend their people, sent to protect their country. And yes, sometimes they have to do painful things. That is not a sin because they're not acting on their own behalf. They're acting on behalf of the government to whom has been given the charge to protect people. God has given the sword to the government that they would punish evil because if they didn't, we'd be in chaos. Are you kind of with me so far? So to government, the sword is, is allowed. That's not so that they would be encouraged again to just kill everybody they want. But that's a recognition that we live in a world that is so sinful that sometimes the only way to keep you safe that you might worship God and receive his gifts is to give people weapons and say, use them to protect. 
we also know that, that to God belongs the office of, of also death. It's his alien office. It's not what he wants to do. It's not his natural place. Um, but the wages of sin is death, and the free gift of God is life everlasting in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, I want to go back to kind of David and Goliath, because David and Goliath is, is one of those really frustrating parts where I have to see both sides of the law. Because we usually sort of, when we hear David and Goliath, um, if we want to find ourselves somewhere, where do we always kind of paint ourselves in this narrative? Where do we paint ourselves? Mm-hmm. Well, I always want to be David. Well, we're in David's court. Right. I'm very firmly, I, I don't want to be the bad guy. I don't want to be the guy who dies. I want to be the guy who conquers. And, and we tell this, um, we sing this. It, it, it's come a, a pop culture thing that, that um, a, every David has a Goliath and every Goliath has a David. And so what you really need to do is be faithful and try your best and make good choices. And if you are just these things, then you will conquer any enemy. What's the problem with this if we're actually being honest about who we are in this world? We're not always, we're always good. First, I mean, that's well done. Uh, that's the harder thing to cop to. Like, it's easier to even say there have been Goliaths that I have very much been squished by in this life. I have not always conquered. But then you have to actually be truly honest, like Kevin, and say, sometimes I'm not always the good one. If we're going to do David and Goliath, um, recognize that, that if we're going to paint this this story, so there is, there is a, a man who would only rather rule... Um, for his, um, his own name to, to, um, to go by might and strength for self-aggrandizement and glory. That's me. There's somebody who went, not by weapons, because remember, David would not wear the armor that Saul would give him. He would not take up the sword. He, he went simply um, because sin had to die. And so he went out and with five stones, how many marks were there on our Lord? One, two, three, four, five on the side. Is that just a coincidence? I don't believe in coincidence when it comes to the Bible. I just don't. He uses the same numbers over and over a lot. It's very much on purpose. Um, and through these five wounds, Sin is put to death. And this is actually a gift that you won't have to rule by might anymore. You get to be the one who is brought in under Israel. Because remember why David and Goliath were battling in the first place. The whole army went down and they're like, we could do this thing and throw down, but let's do it one-on-one for the whole shebang. If you win, we'll pack it up and go home. If we win, we're taking everything. And God would not let Israel be destroyed by sinners who glory only in themselves. Don't forget your ice cream. My man. All right. Sorry, we had youth group earlier. Um, you don't get ice cream. I'm sorry. <laughs> now I feel mean. Um, no. Uh, I'll give you ice cream when we get home. I love you. Um, it's going to be late when we get home. I made a mistake. Um, when we, when we talk about, though, David and Goliath, what we see, though, is a God who is willing to put to death sinners. The joy, though, is that when we are put to death, it is in Christ. We are united with Christ in our baptism, in his death, and also in his resurrection. That's Romans chapter 6. That, that when we go out, we're no longer simply seeking our own glory. We're simply saying what is good and true and virtuous and beautiful. Let me serve that. 
But that's actually, again, tying right back into the fifth commandment. When soldiers go out, is it a call to be um, only for glory at the expense of somebody else, only for yourself? No. Um, and, and our armed forces are good at this. When we recruit, we recruit with the ideas of sacrifice, of service to country, service to neighbor. This is, this is an honorable trade. This is an honorable vocation because here you're not acting on your own behalf, but on behalf of somebody else. This is a big tenet that um, people butted heads with um, throughout the history of Christianity. Um, and Luther just cuts through it piece by piece by, by recognizing that the commandments actually build on themselves. We did this in the first table of the law. So first we had the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. But immediately from this, we come to uh, this, the second commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Um, so we recognize then from the fact that there is a true God, he would also have us use his name for good. And building upon that more, where can we find that God? And all of a sudden we have, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The commandments build on one another, first and second and third. But if you don't have the first, the third is not going to make sense. In other words, if you don't actually understand that Jesus is here for you in church, why would you come here? And that's kind of the question that American Christianity is asking right now, because by and large, if you would ask most Christians, if Jesus is here in a different way than he's anybody else, anywhere else, a lot of us would struggle to say yes. We know that he is, though, because he's promised to be in his word and his sacraments. He's here in a truly unique and meaningful way. And so I want to go where Jesus is, because that's where help is. But in the same way, the second table of the law is also going to build on itself. The fourth commandment is the foundation, the family, honor your father and mother. But from this also comes then, how do we deal with each other in a larger scale? The fifth commandment. Um, and, and here we start to see um, that, that each one of these things is going to build just a little bit more upon it. And if you don't have the foundation, uh, it, it's like Jenga, um, it, it's, it's, it's gonna fall over. Um, I don't know if you guys play Jenga like me, but I don't, I don't have a long attention span. And so I take the ones off the bottom first because I know it's going to be a shorter game that way. Um, I'll go for the middle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock this thing over, see somebody else do it. Um, yeah, see, I, I was my goal to frustrate others because I'm a sinner. <laughs> um, all right. Are you guys kind of with me? Do you have questions about the fifth commandment as far as it pertains to the government? to soldiers and to God. All right, good. Um, here we, we recognize then that, that um, God has um, delighted his authority to punish evildoers to the, delegated, excuse me, his authority to punish evildoers to the government instead of parents who aforetime, time, as we read in Moses, uh, were required, oops, we gotta move it, to bring their own children to judgment and sentence them to death. Therefore, what is here forbidden is forbidden to the individual in his relation to anyone else and not to the government. And so here we even start to see a gift. If we're going to keep everything just inside of the family itself, that means um, that it becomes your job to, to deal with your adult children and not just your children's children. This is a gift in that we can simply say, I don't, I don't want my community destroyed, but I also sometimes I might need help. In, in raising up my family. But from this, we also see all the other places. We talked about this in the fourth commandment. We, we, we send our children to, to, well, confirmation. Confirmation is not dump your kids on pasture. He will teach them everything that they need to know in an hour a week while all the rest of the week you do your best to teach them the opposite. I cannot, like I just can't. I'm not bad at this, but at the same time, like you get 23 hours, I get one. 
the, the, the odds are just not in my favor. It's my job to help you with this though. You can recognize there, there might be, I, I want my kids to grow up Christian, so I'm gonna encourage this. But in the same way, I'm gonna tag in an expert who actually knows uh, the, uh, some ways of talking about this that might be helpful. And together, we're gonna, we're gonna teach. Um, in the same way, um, you, you might send them to a school for the same thing. Um, and, and sadly, um, in, in the same way, um, sometimes when, when sin begets more sin begets more sin, we need the cops. We need somebody to actually come in and help. And it's a gift that I don't have to be the one to do that. Because it's, it's a painful thing enough already. Are you kind of with me here? If you have questions online too, just uh, go ahead and unmute yourself and interrupt at any old time. All right. We are in paragraph 182. Oop, not there. Yeah. Now this commandment is easy enough and has been often treated because we hear it annually in the gospel of St. Matthew chapter 5 verse 21 where Christ himself explains and sums it up namely that we must not kill neither with hand, heart, mouth, signs, gestures, help, nor counsel. Therefore it is here forbidden to everyone to be angry except those as we have said who are in the place of God that is parents and government. So um, sometimes when we talk about um, I'm going to get the door. Sometimes I'm going to stop talking because it's quiet. Come on in. Make yourself comfortable. <laughs> All right, we're on the fifth commandment. You shall not murder. Um, we recognize here that there's actually a group of people who are called to be angry on behalf of God. Your mom and your dad, when they're angry, not like I'm just, I'm annoyed and I want to be left alone angry. That's just me being a sinner. But there's actually a place where God, when he says thou shalt not murder, um, sets aside uh, the, the office of, of death to, to punish evil, to keep society going. And he says, you're allowed to be angry in my stead. So it's my job as a pastor not as an agent of the government, but as a pastor, to be merciful in God's stead. I get to speak God's words of forgiveness. I get to say, in the stead and by the command of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that's not my words, right? Because I have no special Jesus powers. But God said, go speak words of mercy. Go be merciful in my place. In the same way, the government is called to go and be angry in God's place. You are hurting the people that I love and you're breaking down the bonds of society. And so the wrath then exercise here um, what we're talking about is to punish sin. That's, that's, that's good. But your parents don't get to kill you. No. We actually just did this a paragraph before you got here. In the Old Testament, it was this. In the time of Moses, like your parents were the ones that had stoned you. And uh, what, what Luther just got done saying here is um, it's actually a gift that we have been given a government so that you don't have to do that for you. Like, I, I, I don't think I'd be able to. Like, I, maybe it's me trying to think a lot of myself, but. Uh, it's actually a gift that if it ever comes to that, I'll have some help to tag in for that, right? Um, so, so inside of this, then, we're, we recognize um, it is proper, uh, and we're in paragraph 182 at the bottom here. Um, let me find it. Right there. Uh, for it is proper for God for, and for everyone who is in divine estate to be angry, to reprove and punish, namely, on account of those very persons who transgress this and the other commandments. Uh, so, so as God would, would have us deal with one another, he appoints certain people into offices. 
That means that doesn't mean they're better than everybody else, but it means he sets aside other people to act on his behalf. And some of the things that, that need to be done on his behalf are to, um, in the first article, take care of it. So when God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the small catechism tells us all the ways that God takes care of us. And, and like, honestly, it's really hard to just be taken care of if somebody runs along and kicks over your sandcastle every night. And so we need good government to, not to raise up the family, because the fourth commandment said that's from the family, but to keep the family safe, to wield the sword. And here, they're acting on behalf of God in a good and godly way. Uh, to, to punish evil and to reward good. Um, you guys kind of with me so far? All right. But the cause and need of this commandment in paragraph 183 is that God well knows that the world is evil and this life there is much unhappiness. Therefore, he has placed this and the other commandments between good and evil. Now, as there are many assaults upon all commandments, so it happens also in this commandment that we must live among many people who do us harm so that we have cause to be hostile toward them. This is one of those places that um, we, we have to, to sort of recognize where we fall in light of our vocations. Um, in this world, there's going to be a lot of people that have sent you. And there's no shortage of it. So there, there's a difference um, in sort of righteous anger and unrighteous anger as, as Luther starts to paint this picture. And it's not simply an are you right? Um, because the problem with when I get mad because I think I'm right, I always think I'm right. Well, why would you argue if you didn't think Right. It's honestly, it's really hard to live your life if, if you're not willing to assume you're right once in a while. Um, Luther, when he starts talking about righteous anger, he's not just talking about the guy who cut you off in traffic deserves the gesture that you made toward him because he was wrong and you were right. He's not saying that. He's saying there are certain people put in an angry place. You have an angry chair. That's the vocation. The cop? The cop's job is to be angry on behalf of God. The cop's job is to exercise the, the ticket, the jail, the discipline. It's frustrating because as Jesus then calls us to, you know, recognize that anybody who holds anger in his heart in Matthew 5, as we kind of talked about, is sinning, is committing murder. We recognize that sometimes in this world, I'm just going to be wrong and I'm going to be angry about it. The place, though, it's to exercise this, this anger um, gets divorced from me. And that's how you know good is coming. When it's about me, that's why I'm angry, because it's about me. In other words, um, does God want the people who upset me to be forgiven? I don't. That's the difference. Yeah. All right, so when God deals with us then, he would not have heaven and hell separated by how Harrison feels about you, which is good, because hell would be a lot bigger if it was just everybody that Harrison was upset with goes to hell. God wants to be merciful. And so he sets aside then the exercise of his wrath, not towards who is hurt in this world, but towards who has been commanded to offer discipline. And so um, he, he then says, um, there's going to be all kinds of places where you're going to be harmed in this world. And sometimes when you're not given the position to be angry, that harm that you feel towards your neighbor in your heart, that hatred, that's sin. That's a sin. Because you haven't been given a position to exercise it in light of your neighbor. That's where it actually becomes godly. Because as the government, should the government, we can do a politics thing later. Should the government exercise wrath simply on who the people in charge like or don't like? No, they should be fair and just on behalf of their neighbor. When I know when, when anger is, is exercised on behalf of the least of these, it's protective of somebody else. When anger is about who I like and don't like, it's selfish. And the selfishness is the sin. It's the thing that would put me above my neighbor. Are you kind of with me on this? In other words, if you're going to make this about yourself, 
you're going to find murder in your heart real quick. If you're going to make this about your neighbor, um, the, the wrath that is, is, is exercised uh, won't be quite so hot and fiery. I mean, this is some of the stuff that we even talk with um, right now. There, there's a lot of talk about, you know, should we disband the police? Just based on this already, we can answer. No, we should not because we need people to keep us safe. On the other hand, I can say, should the police act only in selfish interest, not for the good of their society, but just, um, you hurt my feelings and so I'm going to use my office as a police officer to make your life hell? No, absolutely not. That's sin too. That's why you have laws. Exactly. And that's what Luther is building up here. So, so we don't want to disband the police because actually to the police has been given the gift of being able to be angry in the stead of God. So you don't have to worry about it so much. And this is where it is again. If I can recognize that there is a God who actually wants to keep society in line, I don't need to keep society in line in my heart. And that's why I'm mad on 35 so much. I'm trying to keep all of society in line in my heart. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. If I ran the world, things would be better. Yeah, that's what I just said. <laughs> See, my way. Um, but, but instead, you have been given the gift of not having to try and hold together order in your heart because that's why you're aiming Instead, we actually get to see the gospel and say, God will handle discipline. You worry about love. If you want to harbor anger in your heart and you have not been given the vocation to exercise it, recognize that's not a good place. That, that's a sinful place. If you're a parent, you can exercise that anger towards your kid. Um, not simply, again, because it's not a fun thing to punish your kids. It's just not. Um, it, okay, so it hurt them more than it hurt you, Sid. <laughs> Um, but I mean, to the follow through, the, the, I mean, to see them actually frustrated, it's, yeah, there, there's places where we don't want to be in that position because it's, it turns selfish. Are you guys kind of with me here? All right. We're on paragraph 184 in the large catechism. Where'd the mouse go? <clears throat> As when your neighbor sees that you have a better house and home, a larger family, more fertile fields, greater possessions and fortune from God than he, he is sulk, he envies you, and he speaks no good of you. Thus, by the devil's incitement, you will get many enemies who cannot bear to see you have any good, either bodily or spiritual. When we see such people, our hearts in turn would rage and bleed and take vengeance. You see the bad pattern here? It's not even just one side angry at the other. It's as soon as I see you angry at me and I didn't do nothing, I'd be angry back. It's every selfish person working on behalf of self and not on behalf of neighbor. And murder is born. It does. They're all connected, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Good. Good catch. All right. Um, God, like a kind father, steps in ahead of us, interposes, and wishes to have the quarrel settled, that no misfortune come of it, nor destroy one another. And briefly, he would hereby protect, set free, and keep in peace everyone against the crime and violence of everyone else. We got to scroll down, don't we? Sorry about that. Here we go. He would have this commandment placed as a wall, a fortress, and refuge about our neighbor, that we do not hurt or harm him in his body. In other words, you know that sinner that's angry at you for no good reason at all. God wants that sinner loved. And so he sets the fifth commandment as a wall between the two of you. So that when he would try to hate you, we can say, this isn't yours to do. That's sin. Repent. And you, when you want to come back in vengeance and say, well, he started it. We can say, it doesn't matter who started it. 
Jesus died for all of you. Your sins are forgiven. Their sins are forgiven. That hate is not yours to exercise. Repent. This is where we can actually start to separate what builds and builds and builds. And he paints this picture like it's a really simple one than the other. But these things, they get so tangled on themselves if you let sin go unchecked, don't they? That, that at the end, like you've just got such a knot of yarn. There's no untangling it. And so God sets this commandment so that it shouldn't be left to run that way unchecked. So when you see these things start to pop up, we can say, this is a fifth commandment thing, you guys. Stop. This will not build. It doesn't matter who's right and who's wrong if you've not been given the authority to actually deal with it. God will have. God will deal with it. It doesn't mean that it's, it's fine that they're doing wrong. It means that God will deal with it. And he set people in place to deal with it. So let them handle it and support them when they do. Are you guys kind of with me on that? Somewhat. Somewhat? Were you, were you kind of fuzzy? Well, I mean, <clears throat> what if the people that are in power in the government yeah. aren't, aren't supporting? What if they are targeting you? Mm-hmm. This was, yeah, this was the whole fourth commandment um, that, that we did. Uh, so let's kind of kind of jump back in our, our mind. Um, so we, we said, first and foremost, we must obey God rather than man. And so if your government is commanding you or forcing you not to practice your faith, disregard it. Right. And I miss the fourth commandment too, but like your parents, where it says you honor your parents, and I got that. Yeah. But who are your parents then? Is, is your parents your birth mother, or is it their... Not what if you have a mother that just yeah. dumps you and then you are given over. and given another mother? Right. Yeah. So, so but, the, but if that mother comes back, are you still supposed to honor that person? Yeah. So so to kind of recap the fourth commandment. So um, Luther talked about this as an office, which is a really cool thing. Um, when we talk about an office, so I got an office down the hall, right? And what's wonderful is an office is meant to be filled by a person. You can pick me out and put somebody else in there to study and wear this shirt, and it'll be just fine. If you built this thing on me, myself, and I, you're doing it wrong. The office is there. And so you've been given parents inside of offices, a mother and a father. Um, two things happen really quick. We recognize that our parents are sinners, and we're called to honor people who might not have always earned it. And we recognize, first and foremost, if God wants to work good through a sinner, and that sinner doesn't want to work good, who's going to win that tug of war? That any of us are here right now is a recognition that God worked good through the sinners given to us as our parents. Thanks be to God. Sometimes, though, you have people who abandon the office altogether, the mom who dumps the kid off. Um, God, in his mercy, will often send somebody else to fill it. It's, it's not ideal, but adoption is also a great gift of God. Right. That, that we can say then, um, so we had one of them uh, who, who came in to get ice cream. Um, Joe Morrison was in. Um, he has a mom and a dad who, who have adopted him, who love him, and he calls them mom and dad. They're not his birth parents, but they're his parents. They step into this office and they act on his behalf to care for him. Um, how should Joe act towards his birth parents? I don't know this situation. I don't know the story. So I'm going to be careful where I speak. So let's leave Joe aside and pick somebody who was just abused in the most awful ways. We can say, God, through you, made me alive. And to that, I, I thank and praise him and even thank and praise you. But also, I'm not going to let you close enough in my life to do me harm again. I can still honor you while recognizing the fact that, that if you're abandoning the office, you're abandoning the place God wants to work. And most of that first comes with forgiving the person. Yeah. Because once you forgive that person, the other part becomes a little bit easier. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and there you can actually start to see again God at work. Because that forgiveness isn't going to come from necessarily my heart first. It's going to come from the cross first. And that'll ignore my heart. Um, and in the same way, step it up to the government. 
Um, when, when you then have a government that makes mistakes, because as it turns out, when you put a whole bunch of sinners in a box together, they're going to be sinners. Um, your government will sometimes err, sometimes in an atrocious way. When Luther wrote the catechism, though, he had a death warrant out for him by the Holy Roman Emperor. Like he was saying right now, honor the government that's telling them everybody to kill me. He's, he's not saying like, if you have a perfect government, then you can listen. He's saying God actually puts these people in place to give order. Some of them are going to do a bad job about that. And when they've totally abandoned God's will to care for the people, that should be a dealt with. But at the same time, um, where God has given you the, uh, the, the ability to, to freely exercise your religion, rejoice. Where God has, has set inside a, 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 um, itself a motion that daily bread would be provided, rejoice. So what do you do when they're trying to take away those? Then, you, I mean, you, when do you have the right to rebel against your government? See, and this is where I don't know if I agree with Luther. Because Luther's going to hold on to this tighter than I would. If you go by Luther, um, so Luther wrote, not in the, the confessions that we hold to as Lutherans. And so this is why when we're Lutheran, we don't swear to everything Luther ever said. We swear to this book. But, but Luther, in like, uh, against the peasant revolt, will basically say don't. You, you just don't. And I disagree with that. Um, and, and I think I can make a good argument from scripture that that's wrong. I mean, if they're trying to take away your life and they're trying to take away yeah. your freedom to worship, where do you go? I, I know where. I go to worship. And, right. and if I need to, I go to war. Right. Yeah. Like to me, that's what it is. Um, not on behalf of myself, but on behalf of those guys right there, my family. Right. And, and so inside of this, you see the fourth commandment. If I hear people say that, they go, well, you're supposed to honor your government no matter what they do. And I'm like, not no matter what they do. Yeah. No. So, uh, so see where the fourth commandment builds, though. It starts with mom and dad. Right. And from mom and dad goes to government. Where the government tries to come in my home and replace me as a dad. I'm going to say, get out of my home. You don't belong here. And I'm going to say, get out of here. You're not doing that. Um, yeah. So then where do we go as far as like, you know, I know the Lutheran church's hierarchy is different than the Catholic church. Mm -hmm. So do we, you know, because I know Matthew Harrison has gone to DC and spoken against different things. Uh -huh. Do we, you know, let that trickle down or where does that hierarchy come in? Then? I don't understand your question entirely. So our synodical president, has uh, done some wonderful speaking on Capitol Hill uh, on behalf of the unborn, on behalf of freedom of exercise of religion. Because, I mean, if we're talking about governments and that hierarchy of mm -hmm. parents, wouldn't Matthew Harrison, the president of our Senate, in you know, a certain sense be... He's speaking for us. Parent? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and I'm glad so he is. I'm still going to vote, though. Like, and, and that's actually been the gift given to you that most, like Luther wouldn't have conceived of the idea that you would have actual say in how your government works. Mm -hmm. um, go vote. It's a sin to not vote because you've been given an ability to speak on behalf of your neighbor. And if you don't speak on behalf of your neighbor, like Jesus at the end of Matthew talks about this, the, the hungry who you did not feed, the sick who you did not tend to, you've been given a chance not just to worry about yourself, but to actually worry about your neighbor in, in a way that has a, an affected chance for good. Exercise that. When the government wants to reach in, not just to, to you, but, but to, to change how you would raise your kids, to change how you would deal with your employees, because that's, that's part of that too. Um, and the table of duties, Luther sets that right there. And he says, like, look, you've been given a, a, a chance to actually see other people's livelihoods, and that's a gift, but it's also a burden. Because like, when times are good, times are good. But when times are bad, you actually kind of feel responsible for this. And, I, that's like that's the awful part about being in charge that's why i love being the associate um like i don't want to be in charge because it's a terrible cross to bear um 
and so when, when somebody would come in and actually make it harder for you to serve your neighbor, the authority starts in the smallest and goes to the biggest. It doesn't start in the biggest and go to the smallest. They have the tanks, but God started with you, not them. And so authority starts with you. Um, and this is why I would disagree with Luther when it comes to when you can and can't rebel. Um, that that from, his, from his fourth commandment, he flat says, it, it, it started in the family. It's supposed to be there. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Cool. Anybody else got anything? So yeah, I mean, as far as like what our church then would speak on behalf of us, and in the same way, if we had a synodical president who spoke on Capitol Hill in a way that did not represent our faith and our, our truth, we would also start to speak about, you know, should you continue to be our, our synodical president? I'm going to vote for the next guy. Uh, and um, again, thanks be to God that we've been given such a voice. Because like even in Luther's times, they have bishops. Um, in most of the Lutheran church today, uh, in the Lutheran church uh, today, except for the Missouri Synod and the Wisconsin Synod, they still have bishops everywhere else in the world in every other synod. And a bishop is well and good as long as he's a good bishop. But if he's not a good bishop, you're kind of stuck. The question, and we did this in the fourth commandment, just to kind of bring it back around, is can God work good, even through somebody you don't like, and even through a sinner? Thanks be to God. That's all he's got. <laughs> and if he's going to wait for the perfect ones, like there was one, and he didn't actually bring about the civil change everybody wanted him to. They wanted a king, and he refused to wear that crown. He put on the crown of thorns. So if you want to see God work, recognize that he works through weakness, through sinners, and for sinners. Like go to the cross of Christ. Watch him be um, fourth commandment, um, mocked about his parentage. Fifth commandment, beaten, murdered. Uh, sixth commandment, um, he, was, he was accused of, of um, a couple of things that, that we don't even get too deep into now because there's kids. Um, but it's kind of in between the lines. They, they kind of take shots at Jesus, yeah. The seventh commandment, they call him a thief. Um, the, the eighth commandment, they, they malign him. They do all of these things in the Good Friday Easter Sunday, and from all of these sinners and sins, God brings about the forgiveness, life, and salvation of you, me, and all the world. God doesn't need the perfect hand of cards to play. It's his great gift. While I'm reading, you know, all the bad things that happen, there's cursing and blows and yeah. and everything. It's just that God steps in ahead of us, but it seems like so many times he doesn't. He doesn't. Yeah, and I'm not complaining. No, complain. Yeah, Please I do. Complain. That's what I always uh, say. I always say, why can't you complain to God? Job complained to God. Job complained Jesus to God. Even complained yeah, to God. But it seems like so many times he doesn't break it up before someone gets hurt or killed or, or something. Yeah. So what are we supposed to think about that? You're supposed to tell him the truth about how you feel about that. Um, because first of all, if you already believe that he knows your thoughts, you're not hiding anything from him. Um, yeah. and second, um, if, if you actually believe him to be a good God, um, that actually brings about those feelings. You know who doesn't get disappointed by mom and dad anymore? The kid who's been disappointed so many times he doesn't expect anything good anymore. Like, how often in your average day would you spend time being angry at unicorns and leprechauns? I don't believe in unicorns and leprechauns, so I don't, I don't spend all day yelling at them. But if you actually believe in a good God who's supposed to take care of these things, here's the 13th Psalm from the scriptures, from David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? And he's saying the same thing you're saying. Good. So let's keep reading it, because this is how we deal with it. 
Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, and lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. Watch the tenses in this next verse, the past, present, future tense. This is where all of the joy is, the tenses, the little words are where all the cool stuff is. Don't ever let anybody trick you into thinking you're, they're smart by saying big words. The little words in the Bible is where all the cool stuff is. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So I have trusted. That means I started trusting and I still am. Why? He has, past tense, past tense dealt bountifully with me. That means before I even see the end of how this mess is going to go, I know who my God is and I know what he's already done for me. I know the promise. My God is the savior of sinners. And so you're right. My God could have worked nothing but raw order in this world. And if he did, I would not be here. It's really easy to have a house that, that's not messy. You just get rid of your kids. But that's not love. And, you, and your husband. <laughs> hey, yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> that's not love, though. If God were a God of just order, it would be an empty place and there'd be nobody upset. There'd be nobody hurting anybody else because everybody would already be in hell. And so our God is the God who redeems. He goes into amongst the sinners and he says, my goal here is not your Tuesday. My goal here is your salvation. And so I would rather dive into the middle of a mess on Tuesday and carry you with it from here all the way to the resurrection than simply say, everybody who made your life worse on Tuesday goes to hell. It'd be nice until hell. Because like at the end of the day, like I didn't realize- one of those people that- Yeah, see, but that's the problem. Like I don't cut people off on purpose. I cut people off on accident. But at the same time, they're still mad at me, right? Hell, I, I don't sin against my children on purpose. It's usually because I'm wrapped up in something else. Um, but, but is dad a sinner? Does dad still love you? Can you forgive dad? That's what love is based on. Like, honestly, that Jesus died for me. And so even in the mess of these things, our, our God has promised order. But it's not order for the sake of building in this world. It's order ultimately to keep you safe, that you would worship and receive the next. And so I can see plenty of places where God has not shut this thing down like he should have. Like we think he should have. Yeah, and, and even just say like he should have. Like the, 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 the choir master, David, he just flat says, how long are you going to forget me forever? He goes, are you sleeping? Wake up. Do your job. You promised. That's called faith. Faith is actually the thing that goes to God and expects good out of him. So when it doesn't see it, it's mad. It's not a sin to be mad at God. You can't be mad at something you don't believe in. That's actually the thing. But see, that's the difference right here. It's, 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 not, it's not simply the feeling of anger. Even if David is angry at God, does he expect good from him? That's why he's angry. Now go to the anger that atheists have. Yeah, they spend a lot of time being angry at just, not, not all gods. Like, they don't spend a lot of time mad at Vishnu. But they're awful mad at my god. Yeah. They expect nothing good from him. And that's the problem. It's the unbelief, not the anger. And in the same way, the anger coupled with hope and trust for good is actually a joyful thing. Because that means no matter what I'm seeing, I will not let my trust be shaken, that my God is a good gift giver. I refuse to acknowledge anything other than this. And if I'm not seeing it, God, you promised, and I'm actually going to hold you accountable because I trust you. That's called faith. Like you see this right now um, in, in children. Um, I don't always, um, sometimes I forget about my kids. 
because I'm a sinner. And they come and remind me, dad, you promised to jump on the trampoline with me. So what am I going to go do? Yeah, I sinned. I forgot, but I'm going to do it. But the reason they come to me is because they actually expect me to remember. They actually expect good from me, even in the face of who I am. If they can do it to me, a sinner, we can do it to God who's perfect. Does that kind of make sense? The, the, the question is not your emotion towards God, but your trust in God. Take an angry atheist and an angry Christian. One expects good and is upset they're not seeing it because God promised and they trust the promise. One is just bitter and unbelieving. It's a good distinction. Y'all kind of with me? All right, we got way off topic and I love it. That's when all the cool stuff happens. I, I, no, I'm, I'd rather talk about the stuff that, that's there. I can read and talk to myself for an hour. That's no, that's no challenge. Um, where are we at? We're at paragraph 186. Maybe we should, Sid. <laughs> Where's my mouse? Come on. There it is. All right, 186. Thus, this commandment aims at this, that no one offended his neighbor on account of any deed, even though he have fully deserved it. For where murder is forbidden, all cause also is forbidden whence murder may originate. For many a one, although he does not kill, yet curses and utters a wish, which would stop a person from running far if it were to strike him in the neck, makes imprecations which, uh, if fulfilled with respect to anyone, he would not live long. In other words, uh, what if every evil thing you wished at somebody while you drove down 35 came true? That's murder. Um, it's just, you're, you're a murderer, it's just you're a really bad one. You're, you're inefficient at your job as a murderer. I've been trying in my heart for a long time to see a lot of people dead. I just, I've, I've never quite managed to pull it off. Um, that, that just means I'm doubly. Yeah, that when, daddy's, when daddy's a sinner and he's angry at people, he shouldn't be angry. But if he's gonna be so angry as to want bad things to happen and he can't do it himself, he, he's, he's an inept sinner too, that's twice as bad. Um, if you're gonna be a sinner, at least be a good at it? I don't know. Um, so, but, but really, in, in, in all actuality, what, what Luther's saying in this is when we, when we deal then with, um, with, with uh, uh, sin, recognize that where the heart starts, the hands fall. We did this with the fall. If you remember back when we were in the first commandment, um, the sin of Adam and Eve happened before the bite. You saw it even in the vocabulary. You guys remember this? When, when Eve's talking to the, the serpent about the fruit, uh, he, she's already adding rules to it because she doesn't trust God. It's not just don't eat it. Don't even touch it. Don't even touch the thing. That's not a good God who would give a good gift. Stay away from that God. That's where the sin is. That's where the fall is. But from the heart ultimately comes the hands. How many crimes of passion are there versus premeditated murders? Which one's bigger? Same result, both awful. But recognize where, where the heart starts, the hands follow. Like in all of it, it starts here before it ever hits here. And so here needs to be addressed too, right? All right. 187. Now, since this inheres in everyone in, by nature, and it is a common practice that no one is willing to suffer at the hands of another, God wishes to remove the root and source by which the heart is embittered against our neighbor and to accustom us to keep in view this commandment, always to contemplate ourselves in it as a mirror 
to regard the will of God and with hearty confidence and invocation of his name and to commit to him the wrong which we suffer. There's so much in that sentence. All right. When God says thou shalt not murder, it's not just thou shalt not stabby stab. It's, it's actually address the fact that in your heart, you wish to see somebody suffer that God would see loved. And the inverse is also true. Recognize you are somebody that God would see protected. You are somebody that God loves enough that nobody should be able to hurt you. The fifth commandment, you shall not murder, is a reflection of what God thinks about you. He loves you so much that he says, nobody's allowed to kill you because I want you alive. And he also says that about the neighbor, even the neighbor that you're mad at. And this is why the fifth commandment is, is a, a reckless thing. Not just because it does great harm in this world, and it does, but it, even in the heart where it's left, um, it, it leads us to start to say, you are people that God would also hate. And that's just not true. That's just not our religion. And when our religion becomes, you are people that God would hate, how do you put a cross of Christ into that? You can't. The cross of Christ where he died for all is the cross that would say, that was so bad that my God had to die for it, but he did. And so even then to the angry atheists, to so the one who would try and come in and, and take from us those rights which, which God has, has baked into his creation, we can say, God does not want you in hell for this. He would have you turn from your way and live. If I'm going to that's interesting because the, the Jews or the Israelites, wherever, had these commandments, and they knew what they did. Yet when Jesus was saying, "You have to love your enemy," mm -hmm. they're they're balking at him. Well, they want to kill him because you Romans, see where it starts too, right? Heart to hands. So that really means the Romans too, who were castrating their men, mm -hmm. throwing their children off yeah. cliffs, tortured. So Jesus is saying, even those people have redemption. Yes. That's actually, and like, that's the joy of it. Who does Jesus spend all his time, not just hanging out with, we love to say Jesus hung out with the sinners, but who's he actually engaging in debate with over and over again, preaching to over and over again? It's the Pharisees, Sadducees, the people who don't believe in the resurrection. He would say, actually, I'm not going to ignore you and go my way. I'm not going to abandon you to this. I'm going to continually engage with you. And some of them believed, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus. Um, we, we have uh, named in the scriptures those who were of that mindset who heard the word of God and believed. God wants even, even them saved. Um, the problem happened, because that, that wasn't um, the Israelite religion. Uh, it, it was taught to me um, in Sam, and I'm, I've taken the word for it. But uh, when we start to talk about the difference between Israel and, and Judaism, uh, we, we start to talk about uh, those who would reject the promise versus those who would keep it. Israel cut the promise. When, when you would say, that's not the Messiah, those aren't God's words. Right. Then, then that's where you start to see the words of the Jews come in um, inside of the scriptures. Um, when, when we deal then with this, um, but they were oh, yeah, the people that were supposed to show the world who God was, where's the Israelites, the twelve tribes? Right. By the time you get to intertestamental period, this is like five hundred years since there's right. been a prophet right. trying to preach reform. Right, right. You have the split. Yeah, right. Not just the split, but but a, a disregard of commandments that comes slowly. Um, and this is where it's insidious, and you can see it in our churches today. Don't you think it's because they also lost the priest and stuff? Yes, that's what I'm saying. It, it, you can see it today. Like, where, where I will not teach you God's full counsel, how would you learn it? And then when the next guy comes along... Well, what if you don't know the full counsel? That's the problem. And this is why, again, there, there's such a, a... It's a vicious and awful cycle down. But this is why we also read old books. Like, I'm reading a book from 1543. 
because if you're just going to leave it to me and what I've experienced in this world, there's, there's going to be holes. If we read old books, we've got a chance of at least skipping the blind spots of our, our day and age. That's why it is pretty so important. It is. Um, and, and so inside of this, uh, yeah, what, what you had inside of the Pharisees is an intertestamental time that, that had rejected largely the words of the prophets for the Decalogue. Understand what happens when you take two parts of God's word and set them against each other. You say, God is a schizophrenic, and I can only pick parts of what he listens to. That's not a healthy thing. But don't you think there was two, there was two good newses going on? You know, you had, the, you had two good newses going on. You had Jesus coming in saying, here's this good news. Mm -hmm. You had uh, the world, which is Caesar, and the Romans saying, here's our good news. All these cathedrals, all these beautiful statues, all this, this beautiful world, government, protection, army. What's new? Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, right. Jeremiah had that problem too. Um, I, I mean, you can go through all of them. Uh, it, that, that's, that's been the problem ever since the fall. Yeah, in our country, same right same. now, I mean, that's, that's same, same. Full, full blossom away. Yeah. The same thing. Yeah. In Jesus' time, you had, you had the zealot, you had the Herodian. Right. So let's just grab the fifth and the fourth because we haven't even gotten too far yet. Um, so, so from just without even touching the ones we haven't got to yet, from the fifth commandment, understand God wants them saved. God wants them not hated. God wants them loved as if he died for them. And from the fourth, God would even work good through these governments. That's the greatest gift of all. That from that which you meant for evil, God would work good. What do you do with war? Which war? Any war. Some wars are good wars. But your life is being endangered and all. Yeah, but, but again, this is the fifth commandment, the, the soldier thing. If your life is being endangered for the sake of your neighbor, and this is your vocation, to lay down your life for your neighbor, greater love has no love than this, that one would lay down his life for the neighbor. Um, soldier is a godly vocation. Mercenary is not. Yeah. Um, so some wars are good wars because we go to defend that which is our neighbor's. We, That's the biggest problem we had here in World War One is that people didn't really want to kill anybody. So they had to start inventing war games in order to... You know, I never thought about it that way, but you, so many nasty things came in World War One too, right? right? Well, that was one of the biggest problems. That's why they started war games is because mm -hmm. we weren't conditioned, our country wasn't conditioned to, to killing people. As, we had so much peace and prosperity besides the, mm -hmm. the Civil War since then. Right. All right, so let me finish this up. I've, I'm going to think on that for a while. But yeah, that's, that's deep. All right, just from, uh, we're about halfway through paragraph 187. Uh, to contemplate ourselves in this as a mirror. God gives us the fifth commandment is a mirror. Look at yourself in light of this. Not just look at what everybody else is doing wrong. Look at yourself. See in a mirror that you're a sinner that needs Jesus. This is the chief use of the law, the mirror, that we would see in it. I actually need help from God here. And then regard God's will. Not simply that evil be punished, but that sinners be saved. And then go forward with this. Um, that way, um, where did where the last sentence go that I want? Uh, with hearty confidence in the invocation of his name, commit to him the wrong which we suffer. That means let God actually be in charge of his own universe. You don't need to do it for him. He's really good at it, I promise. Even when it doesn't look like it, he's working good. Uh, thus, we shall suffer our enemies to rage and be angry, doing what they can, and we shall learn to calm our wrath and to have a patient, gentle heart, especially toward those who give us cause to be angry, that is our enemies. Again, that means if it's not your vocation to be angry, let God worry about God's own universe. You rejoice in the fact that God would be merciful to sinners. 
It's a ridiculously cold look in the mirror because I'm awful at this. I want fair, but fair is the enemy of good. I want fair, but fair doesn't actually care about the good of my neighbor. Fair just sort of makes sure I've got my share. God says, I'm in charge of the universe and I want to be merciful down here. Rejoice. Um, when we actually commit to God, then, the, the identity um, of a just God and a merciful God at the same time, we have to go to the cross of Christ because only there can we mix the two. I'm really good at a just God when I want some fire called down from heaven. I'm really good at a merciful God when I messed up and I want some forgiveness. The only place I can find the two meet, though, is the cross where he would bear the wrath himself for the sins of all the world, thus loving even our enemies. Look at yourself in the mirror over this and recognize it's God's job to rule the universe. And so if you have not been put in a vocation to help him do it, i.e. the government, i.e. a mom or a dad, somebody who has actually been given a charge over another person to care for them and their well-being, well then let God be God. To hold that is sin. You with me? Last bit of questions or comments? And actually, we uh, pray the prayer our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all for your time tonight. Thank you, people online. Didn't hear anything from the people Thank online. No, they're quiet tonight. That's okay. Thank you. So you say that you look around and think they're all. Thank you, Pastor. Our lifespan is so appreciated. The big picture of God's whole plan because. Well, you think you have one bad leader, that that leader may have been put there for a purpose that you don't know anything about.